so when we're translating things from experience into words that's, that itself is a process it's called the verbal, verbal sankara, vajji sankara it's a process that we all do all the time vajji sankara means the, the verbalizing program and uh, that's obviously something that's conditioned you don't, it's not all there when you begin your life potentially it's there we have the capacity to do that and then the particular ways in which we can conceive of things gets programmed in so as you you know, recognize that now we have kind of computer languages where we can start to you know, use all kinds of specialist language to describe experiences that makes experience look somewhat different so what we can conceive in a way packages our experience and maybe highlights it and in that packaging certain things come to light uh, but also just to recognize that the packaging itself is it's a conditioned process it's not some kind of ultimate reality and even the Buddha's words are packaging you know, they're, they're not ultimate realities but they can be very helpful when you get used to using them um, certain things to bear in mind in terms of the translation from experience to, to verbal concepts um, <coughs> often in, in the Buddha's, Buddha's language in this particular language form things a little more uh, about process and dynamics and uh, things that are more in movement and, and a, uh, rather than finite things so we will tend to have a kind of view of there being such things as things which are lumps rocks, trees, bodies, me some kind of lump thing and there's a background behind it <coughs> so as, as lump things this body thing moves through space and the me thing as a lump moves through time and so on so you get this kind of kind of analytical process which separates things from fields that surround it or areas that surround it um, now in, in the Pali language often the, the, what's being referred to are really field effects they're processes rather than things so for example if we talk about consciousness in the Buddhist sense the word that's, consciousness is not a thing it's an, it's, a, it's an event that happens it's a process that's happening moment after moment consciousness is a rising tide it's a rising it's a, it's a movement of things coming into presence things coming into presence through the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue so consciousness if you talk about consciousness in a generic term that is we're talking about you know, the, being conscious that's a process, it's not an entity you know, it's not a fixed thing so it's right to say if you're talking about consciousness well which consciousness do you mean do you mean mental consciousness, visual consciousness do you mean consciousness that's affected by uh, joy or love or greed or hatred in other words it is, it's a continually shifting and changing process you know? and, and we may pick up particular points in that process and 
from the awakened mind, this is this is absolute, This is the normal way of seeing things. Nothing actually fundamentally exists as a finite, solid entity. Everything is in process. Everything is shifting and morphing and changing and affecting and being affected. So consciousness itself is of that nature, and the <coughs> where sankara come in is sankara are the formative tendencies that generate forms so one of our um, references is Sankara Rija Pachaya Sankara Sankara Pachaya Vijnana which means dependent upon forgetting or not connecting or not being in touch or not knowing or not realizing there are these processes and forces that come into play a lot of them are barely conscious, that is we're not clear about them, they're, they, they're reflexes and they, are, they infect and they infuse and they throw consciousness around, they make us conscious of this, they make us conscious in this particular way, um, they make consciousness extended or contracted, um, they make the mind consciousness heated or cool, so they are, they are formative and dependent upon the, the state of consciousness then that begins to define the kind of things we contact how we contact things how we experience our intimate reality you know, when one is in a joyful state or negative state then everything is pervaded by that that mental tone that mental consciousness so Sankara the underlying agencies or formative tendencies that um, um, arouse and extend and motivate and infect consciousness um, so that's, that's a process there now when we if you look at Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation or note on the meaning of the word just to read it out re- relevant pieces this word is used in a suit as different specific references in different contexts but it retains enough unity of meaning to permit with rare exceptions a uniform rendering the problem however is to decide which <laughs> of the many proposed renderings is the most adequate or if none are found fitting to coin a new one that is so here we get into the second problem of translation that is how do you get a, a Pali word or a, to, to become an English word <laughs> and this is where quite a lot of the uh, unfortunate um, glitches occur because different translators use different words particularly as this word about run, it runs right through the teachings it's difficult to find an exact English word for so you may. So this means sometimes you see the same word translated in different ways. You don't realise it's the same thing. <laughs> so sankara can be seen as formations, volitional formations. Venerable um, Tanisaro does a lot of translation work. Uses fabrications. So you might see that coming up very often on the on the um, access to insight website, which is a wonderful resource. That, so that's the same as formations or volitional formations I've seen it written as conditions 
or determinations, synergies. So you can see that people really look around trying to, you know, tack some English words around it. And I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> join in with my little bid, <laughs> which is I'm going to use I I will use programs. <laughs> Uh, or sometimes programs or patterns depending on how um, formed they are and there are reasons for that the root idea suggested by the word sankara is making, toge- is making together kara is to do with karoti to make sung together making together so this exactly gives you an idea is, is making together a thing how many making togethers have you got <laughs> what kind of it's obviously it's a, it's a it's a dynamic it's a process it's a kind of a something that's that's generating particular ways in which things come together ways in which things are formed the pali commentators explain that the word allows for both an active and a passive sense thus the sankaras are either factors or forces that function together in producing an effect they're generative, they're creative and the other piece to get in, to bear in mind is there are things that are produced by a combination of cooperating factors and just to kind of pause there so they're the producer and the, and the produced So in a way there's a kind of a a latent or a passive aspect to this which is why I'm using the word programs. Programs are both active and they get installed on your hard drive. And after a while you you have to operate within the programs that are there (laughs) as you may have noticed. And sometimes they don't work very well as you may have noticed. (laughs) But that's what's installed. (laughs) <laughs> so you, you operate in accordance with what's installed and um, so that's, uh, that's, that's and then they will tend to you push a button, that program comes up and it does its thing yeah. so then it becomes active and um, in this Sankara's, Sankara's also a little bit more intelligent Maybe, because they also produce new programs you know, to, within a range mentally and verbally they produce new programs we can recognise we can change our ways of speaking and thinking you know, we, can ch- change, we can laterally think we can be imaginative we can be intuitive so you, do, you can move outside and in fact that's one of the main um, Qualities and the skills of the of the what's called the Vaji Sankara is you, you can change it relatively quickly. If you're not some kind of fundamentalist um, or dogmatic, that is you you know. And uh, you know, we we all do this from the age of two onwards. We up our vocabulary. So and there's something there that's 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 learning that's saying ah. Oh, there's another way of describing this there's another way of, of entering this another way of handling this that's actually a bit more gives rise to greater potential so you can have this 
the Vajit Sankara is both that which is produced, your, your particular ways of thinking, and also something that is stored, but also something that oversees the whole package and says, this doesn't seem to work anymore. What's needed here? I need a bit more thinking, or thinking a different way, because this way of thinking is making me feel depressed or dogmatic. I don't feel very good about it. So you've got a, a kind of an override Sankara that monitors the others hmm. and this is um, Chitta Sankara or, the, or the, what we call the mental formation which is again productive and, and um, storing that is our, our productions in terms of the mental uh, sankaras, jitta sankara are in terms of impulses and intentions you can feel them rise in your heart so intention which is not necessarily a deliberate plan so again here the English word intention doesn't quite do it because we always assume intention is clearly figured out but actually chetana is the Pali word for volition and it's a big, big feature of Sankara, of Chitta Sankara. The big thing is volition. That is, we something in us rises up and pushes, moves, is interested, uh, moves fast, moves slow, hangs back, wavers, wobbles. Um, and this is not an intellectual process. When there's a lot of passion going on, that Chitta Sankara, that volitional quality, just comes charging out. And it doesn't look right or left. <laughs> when there's a lot of doubt, it only looks right and left. It can't see straight ahead. <laughs> when it's in aversion, it kind of comes out brandishing its horns, you know, or it, or it retracts if it's fearful. So you get the fight, flight, freeze impulses, as well as um, a few more playful things. So these are these are volitional tendencies. So you have this is one aspect, big aspect of chitta sankara, is chetana volition. Um, another another sense is of chitta sankara, or uh, what what um, what it's involved with is remembering or attaching to or learning or accumulating. Yeah. so that we get some feedback so this is much more in terms of how, it, how, it, how it's stored another aspect of Chitta Sankara is attention called Manasikara Manasikara, and that's the thing that um, creates a boundary and says, "Look within this." So we might say, we attend to the sensations in our bodies. So your attention is spread over the body, or you attend to the sensation in your hand or your lips if you're eating something, or it moves around, or you attend to hearing, or you attend you spread your attention over hearing or seeing or thinking. Yeah. So there's this kind of, and naturally what you attend to 
will give you feedback that you learn from, that you pick up in terms of feelings and perceptions. That is, you get a particular feeling from it and you get a meaning from things. You say, oh, that's a tree, that's a body, that's warm, that's friendly, that's unpleasant, that's bitter. That's all perception. So, um, the way that the Chitta Sankara operates is it, it throws something out, throws out a lasso, if you like, that's intention, loops around something, that's attention, draws it in. And the drawing in is a process of perception and feeling. As it gets, what's that feel like? What does it mean to me? And then dependent upon that, the lasso goes out again. Hey, I like that. Throw it around again. Stay with that or loop a bit tighter. <laughs> or throw it somewhere else. So, so, so that's that's how the sankhara is continually throwing consciousness around. So co- and this brings us just to bear this process then connects us to the process of karma cause and effect and karma or kamma perhaps pronounce it correctly is uh, in the Pali language um, is the process of the movement of intention the movement of chetana so where our heart leaps or pushes or flounders or retracts that that movement is mental karma that, and the, the quality of, of volition is certainly it's rooted in the mind in other words you can have body reflexes that cause you to jump that's not that's not karma. Karma is there's a there's a mental aha uh-huh, and you go for it. Now that aha uh-huh may not be t- tremendously intellectual. That's part of the problem is a lot of our aha's are not really that careful. <laughs> they're instinctive kind of, but they're mental. You know, they're, they're they're emotional we might say or psychological reflex. Some of them are actually are deliberately fashioned. Some of them are more. Um, instinctive um, but all that is karma generate karma mm-hmm. and there are results to that which is called vipaka so karma vipaka is the sort of cause and effect the results are that immediately whenever one turns one's attention towards one's going to receive the effects of being in contact with that mm-hmm. And you will receive that. Um, that won't just be a neutral experience. It will be mentally toned by the degree of expectation, or gentleness, or aversion, or whatever that caused the, the lasso to get thrown in the first place. So we have a mind that can be kind of fault finding therefore you find fault there's plenty of faults around in potential in the field there's plenty of faults things that could not be the way I want them to be give me a few moments in fact I'll find one <laughs> so this is the kind of uh, you know, there's, a, there's a potency 
a store of, of of negativity or irritability, and so that when we move from that, it tends to have these negative effects. So in that way, as some of these these impulses are not just purely spontaneous, but they are generated from a storehouse of latent tendencies or which are called anutsaya um, latent tendencies which if you like is the storehouse of, of intentionality and then from that intention rises up and we, these are kind of these are, in, these are in process so the whole thing is changing you have many intentions that are bound up with um, irritability or wavering or skepticism or something and then it rises up and it's, it's then then one receives the effects of that karma vipaka um, and naturally quite a lot of that is just happening internally you know, we sit here and meditate and we can still be in our karmic loops sometimes poignantly so when you're in places that are really quite pleasant and benevolent and you can feel really unhappy um, because your old programs are running some of it goes a bit further and it, it breaks out into thought and speech so in this understanding Vajji Sankara the, is thought and speech it's internal speech as well as external speech so once, you, once it forms into a thought then it becomes a l- much more finite and specific and it's got, it picks up its own energy you know and suddenly you know because thought thought sankara because it's got a very short feedback loop you immediately you learn quick so you pick up quick so you start putting your thought process down one line and it starts to follow that line yeah it's like a line of ducks, you know. Mother duck wanders off, all the other ducklings come after it. <laughs> Whereas, uh, you know, um, it's a very quick following on. So you follow one train of thought, and a whole lot comes running after it. Or you get, um, or it breaks out into physical action. Uh, so one acts in a bodily way in terms of, you know, skillful or unskillful deeds. So that's called. So the bodily sense is the um, kaya sankara, which means the various um, formative energies that arise in the body. Formative and uh, activating energies that arise in the body. So we feel frightened. A certain sense, a certain activation occurs we feel angry a certain activation occurs we feel affectionate a certain activation occurs we feel hungry a certain activation we feel tired activations occur you know if you're asleep everything wants you to kind of crinkle up and contract and go down doesn't it <laughs> it just does that so sometimes in the meditation you've actually got to recognize that and see if you can turn it around which you you can do to a certain extent because the um, Jitta Sankara 
mental formation, mental program oversees the whole lot. Yes. So that's that's for our welfare. If you train the chitta, that's for our welfare. If you don't train it, it's it's big problem. So if you've got a mind, mental programs that are destructive, negative, see faults, um, you know, then if that goes into bodily action, this is where we get uh, violence, hostility, abuse of various kinds. It overflows into that. However, on the other on the other uh, uh, end of the scale, if you have mental programs that are about patience and relinquishment, letting go, tenderness, compassion and so forth, you can get these fear reflexes run through your system. You say, just wait a minute on that. Why don't I just um, receive that with kindness and you let it dissolve? So you can turn it around. These are, the kosankaras are dynamic. That means they are subject to change. They are changeable. And they would take their lead primarily, you can steer them through, through steering the heart, steering the mind, steering the chitta. So we may very well still feel bodily uh, programs arising, tire, fear, tiredness, defensiveness and so on, but then you can, you can check them and you can... Uh, um, Introduce through the mind. You can introduce suggestions of safety, suggestions of mutuality. We're all in here together, just like me. You're this way, that way, and suddenly the fear, flight, fright things reactions stop. Instead, we get something like empathy, or groundedness, or um, relinquishment occurring. So the mental one is is the most important one. Hmm. That gives you kind of an eye. We'll go back to those several times throughout this because they they are perhaps the most hands-on specific ways in which you can approach Sankara in your meditation. Noticing how you think, noticing how you feel and noticing how it's affecting your body. And we do bodily things like breathing in and out sitting upright as a way to keep the body process very open and present for us so we can start to measure mind against body and use mind and body to to come into harmony but so there's this cause and effect process and also to be emphasized with Sankara they are fluid and changeable but they do tend to get obsessive yeah. once you've learnt one thing one way the tendency is to keep running it again and again and again <laughs> so in a way one needs to be reminded you know, we may, we may think we're bound we may think we're settled we may think we're stuck we're not you, know. you can shift it sometimes it takes quite a while but the first sense of shifting it is to at least have the, that understanding of this which I seem to be it's just a program. <laughs> you don't have to keep running it, you know, the same way every day. So, I'll 
skip the rest of that paragraph and go to paragraph 3 the word Sankara occurs in four major contexts in the Pali Suttas one as the second factor in the formula of dependent origination so this I've just touched on dependent origination um, is a map of a particular process of the factors that give rise to suffering and how those factors that give rise to suffering can be um, changed, can be shifted. So, and the, so this uh, this formula appears in several different formats. Actually, it's not it's not a fixed thing. I think the Buddha just highlighted many times. He highlight these particular points. Other times he'd highlight different points. There is a certain they they, they do. Um, they do correspond, they're basically the same but they're different in certain aspects but one um, in this particular reference, the second formula uh, factor in the formula of dependent origination avijya pachaya sankara sankara pachaya vinyana so literally translated dependent upon avijya or ignorance are Sankaras, programs, formations, patterns, fabrications, dependent upon formations, fabrications, uh, so forth, are, is consciousness or are consciousnesses. There are, there are many different consciousnesses, um, but generally in this one it's understood to be the mental consciousness. So it's in there. And we'll look at that. Uh, in detail later on it's often a rather um, intricate piece again when we translate avijja avijja is clarity it's also related to the word vedana to feel so you can see how in that translation shift from English from Pali to English we lost lost the feeling sense we went very much to the cognitive but Ouija has also a, a kind of a feeling aspect to it as you feel disconnected, you feel out of touch um, or, or you're not, fully, not feeling things fully there's a kind of fragmented sense there's a, a, so you're, you're off balance you might say it certainly doesn't mean a lack of information <laughs> so it's not really cognitive process we're talking about so much as is the heart clear is the heart um, settled is the heart in touch so it's when it's not like that then what's happening is these, these uh, programs start running Some of them, you know, when we look back on them, we think, oh my goodness, why did I do that? How did I, how on earth did I say that? Uh, there I go again doing that. And of course, uh, this is because one of the programs is to claim identity for programs. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do any of it, it was just a program. <laughs> But there is a supervising program that says, I am 
to all this stuff to, to, that's what makes it um, convincing and that's what makes us learn because if it's just a program you might think oh well program so what uh, but because you think this is me and there's that sense of me around it it means you, you kind of lis- you listen to it and you try and learn from it which is great if it's telling you the truth you know but it isn't so good if it's, if it's got distortions in it which is where suffering comes from Secondly, as the fourth of the five aggregates, the Sankara comprise all the mental factors not included in the other three mental aggregates. Well, the five aggregates we will also look at in, in, in a subsequent session. Um, so, the rupa, form, sometimes translated as body, but not actually body, it means form there's a difference there because um, it can mean any form really Some, most, very often visual form but not always visual form anything that appears uh, that manifests as a form that you can sense as a form <laughs> so uh, and uh, in the bodily sense this is things like heat pressure gives you the sense of having a body this is rupa kanda um, and aggregate again not the most fortuitous English word perhaps in, in Britain they use this as the kind of stuff you put in concrete to give it some body sort of stuff that's lumped together lumpy bits uh, conglomerates uh, essentially it is what it, exactly what it says it, the Buddha has just kind of lumped a whole lot of stuff together and says well we'll call that form you know all this stuff coheres to give you the impression of form this heat movement, pressure and solidity you know. so th- this is what gives you a sense of having a form and they all stick together when they stick together you've got a form every form has this in it rupa vedana, feeling or, which is um, sympathetic tones something uh, arises as a resonance as a sympathy Sympathies are either means either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Aren't the others pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? So you stick to you know what is it that pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral have in common? What is their aggregation? It's they they're felt. They're they're the they're the three aspects of, of feeling. Perception sanya is the um, felt meaning. I call it, it means the dominant feature that strikes your mind at any particular moment so there are, when you look at a particular thing there's a number of things you could see about it you could look at this particular little bell here and you could see the colour or you could see the gloss, the sheen on it or you could see a little detail of some scratch or another on it but basically the one that dominates is bell therefore it's a bell <laughs> the perception is bell and it could be teacup it could be little funny hat <laughs> could be a number of things but you know so the, the, the one thing that stands that arises in my mind is bell so that's, that's, the, that's the meaning of that yeah. and of course you know
so there's a, a this can be confusing because I think there's like when the Romans invaded Britain they'd ask the local people they'd point to some water and say what's that and they'd say Avon okay they say oh that must be the river Avon Avon so they go to another river and say what's that and they say Avon <laughs> so, so they thought all these rivers were called Avon just means river <laughs> But the Romans thought they were talking about specific rivers. You know, this one's called that. And so you've got about 50 different rivers in Britain, all called the River Avon. Because <laughs> the word for it just means river. <laughs> so you might point at a cow and say, what's that? You know, and say, animal. You know, think, oh, that's an animal. Or you might point and say, cow. Or if you're an expert, you might say, is this a Frisian? So the dominant meaning, you know, is this the perception and uh, so when these are um, these are also learnt these are learnt so you don't first well, the first time you see a cow you don't think oh that's a Frisian heifer pedigree three years old you think god what's that animal big um, so they're learned, they're built up there's programs that build up perceptions perceptions trigger off particular um, impulses cow, maybe milk it, stroke it run away from it calculate how many beef burgers you can make out of it depending on what you're where you're coming from <laughs> uh, when we come down to mental perceptions then these are often um, what is perceived as friendly, as hostile, as polite, as uh, acceptable, as interesting. There's a big world in there. And they don't always fit. So that's the third and fourth aggregate is Sankara itself, which is both the impulse energy, here he's terming it as volition, or volitional formation slightly different volition is just the moment of impulse the volitional formation if you like is a channel that it runs down so sankara is a, a, a channel or a groove or a loop that the volition, the volition runs down mm. and if you keep running volition in a particular way you'll develop a channel you develop a, a loop there so it's just a slight difference the two are closely related volition and volitional formations and as I said one thing that the Sankara aggregate does is it, it programs and forms all the others and keeps tweaking them fifth aggregate is, is vijnana which means the consciousness of useful to use the word of then it reminds you this is not an independent self-sufficient permanent entity that sits in our heads um, consciousness of a thought consciousness of a sound consciousness of a mood um, you know, it's, it's that which makes something present for you vijnana so these are the five aggregates we'll look at those later on Sankara plays a big place part in that
Thirdly, sankara is also used in a very comprehensive sense to signify everything produced by conditions. In this sense, it comprises all five aggregates. Here the word bears the passive sense being explained by the commentators as sankta sankara, formations consisting in the conditioned. So, in this respect, it means more or less everything except Nibbana. <laughs> Which is called the Asankata, or the unconditioned. Uh, so, formed, conditioned, programmed, stuck together, produced, patterned, brought into being. It's always supported by these particular you know, this supportive process that brings things into being, holds things together. So, Nibbana is often called the unsupported. It doesn't like lean on anything. It doesn't require any act of the will, any aim, any intention. It doesn't, it doesn't occupy any space. It, it transcends attention, which is the space definer has no location it transcends the centering effect of sankara the me sense you can't improve your nibbanas <laughs> can't get a better one than they had 2000 years ago <laughs> so it neither rises nor passes so the uh, and of course it's extremely difficult to conceive but sometimes just playing with the ideas is kind of interesting just tease, tease the mind a little bit <laughs> so sankara is everything but that there's still another context the word sankara is used in relation to kaya, vajji and chitta body, speech and mind so I've already touched upon this so kaya sankara the bodily formation which is in and out breathing so um, and for this you've got to bear in mind that the breathing in this context is a little more, quite a bit more than just air moving in and out of your lungs. It's the whole vitality um, metabolism that we're looking at. The, the process in us which continually oxygenates, um, clears old stale stuff, refreshes, floods the whole body, you know, it's that. It's it's the, uh, the that that's the process. You know, sankara. If we only breathe in and out through our lungs, we have great lungs. The rest of us would wither away. Fortunately, the lungs are generous enough to share it with everything else, the blood. So then it gets transferred over the whole body. And as you practice mindfulness of breathing, then um, you sort of think like that. Because how you think will tend to affect what you'll be aware of. So if you think of breathing as just in and out of your nose, that's more or less what you get. Um, if you start to think of it as flowing through the whole body, that's what you get. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the reasons for teaching is just to encourage to... to come out of the uh, particular program thought processes and just think bigger and say is that true? Am I making it up? Is it true? 
do you feel something through your whole body when you breathe in and out or not kaya sankara and so the first tetrad of anapanasati mindfulness of breathing centers itself around this particular aspect of sankara that's why it's a very this kaya citta vajji is very direct palpable stuff of meditation citta sankara alright so it's the verbal formation which is applied thought and sustained thought applied thought and sustained thought this is Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's quite reasonable rendition of two Pali terms Vitaka Vitaka V-I-T-A double V-I-T-A double K-A Vitaka and Vichara applied thought, sustained thought sometimes directed thought and evaluation this Venerable Tanisaro generally uses that um pondering, thinking and pondering I've seen that translated in that way what it really means is something fairly brief is vitaka it's a nice clip sound isn't it vitaka, it touches, it goes out and tucks something ah, there it is bap, 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 bap. so you know your mind does that and then vichara it means it takes it in well, what was that? how is that? how are you with that? it's a kind of pondering quality, uh, evaluating and sampling and moving chara is to do with movement and conduct you charity so, so chara it guides, it directs, it moves around so these two processes are the, the called the vajji sankara and again in meditation we're learning to use those to touch with our thinking minds with our articulation faculties touch, just touch particular places and then how is that? how is that? by and large um, a good amount of reduction in this field is considered helpful It's not. It's not all just going because it's it's a very um, evocative program, and it's highly configured, uh, and, and it's often configured in in ways that are not really going to get uh, enlightenment happening. So proliferation is the is the um, disease disease of the Vitaka Vichara applied thought, sustained thought the mental formation which is perception and feeling again with a word like mental you've got to do a little bit of a double take on that word you might find heart better Uh, mental we tend to imagine is cerebral cognitive citta is affective Effective, responsive. Effective, responsive. How am I? How do I feel? How am I doing? What's happening for me? This is jitta. Yeah. 
affective responsive it's affected by perceptions I don't like the way she looked at me I feel funny feel odd feel didn't look, you know perception therefore it comes up with fear anxiety confusion irritation nice day today well, I feel better already you know, perception rises um, and there's a perception it's got a uh, carries a feeling with it you know not a, necessarily a sensual, sensory feeling but a heart feeling we feel gladdened we feel contracted we feel cold we feel warm so you get these kind of mood tones and then as you probably recognise dependent upon those certain energy certain formations start occurring that's because I feel a little bit nervous then I start doing things and saying things to to check out if I'm okay or if you like me or if there's a problem or something or other. So it gets kind of jittery quality starts happening, comes up into our speech. It's jitta sankara. So final paragraph, sankara is also employed outside these major contexts and in one such case Venerable Yanamoli's sense of determination has been retained this is where it occurs in the compound Padana Sankara which has been rendered determined striving hmm. now, so you know, what, there's a word determination determined which he is saying is exactly the same word as program, formation, pattern. But if you notice, it carries slightly different nuances, doesn't it? So, determined for us generally means something where there's a pretty strong bit of jaw going there, you know, the jaw locks. <laughs> and. Um, well that's one kind of determined you could say and often in, in monastic parlance we say I, I've determined this is my robe which means I've just made a decision oh that's mine, it's allocated so that, that's now mine so uh, you know there's been a program there that says ownership, okay that belongs to me mm. yeah, so, so it, it's, it's, there's a formation has occurred some sense of connection has occurred connected to that or yeah so the, the degree of, of push in that determining process is, is relative. So when you use a word, English word determined, it tends to be full tilt push. Uh, it's not necessarily the case in, in the meaning of the word sankara. So I, de- I, determine, I determine to be kinder to myself. Yeah. So that's, that's the determination. It's a sense of putting something on the agenda as a, as a program to be followed. So we can see it in this way. Um, we'll see that the quality of padana or effort or application um, is fourfold and needs to be modified and um, balanced in accordance with what 
is necessary or skillful. So these are, this is a, of course, this is a, the you know the, the very important to get a sense of uh, in terms of meditational practice in general how how much push how much will is needed uh, you know I think most of us can fluctuate from very intense to just feeling kind of wrecked by that intensity and just want to go back to something much softer perhaps finding a bit too soft you know and then realizing you've got to moderate it and there's probably an, a level which is right for you most of the time other times you may need to just be a bit firmer other times you may need to be a bit softer or slower or more spacious and you find your you find your, your way with that it's important to recognize sankara are fluid and they need to be fluid if they lock into any particular pattern um, the learning process is stultified you can't learn if you're, if you're already if you're already locked. <laughs> you know, you're, you're fundamentally dogmatized. You're fundamentalized. You can't really learn. You can only continue your program. Yeah. So it's wise to, to have enough softness there to be able to flex. Otherwise, you just become a conditioned meditator. <laughs> and uh, you know. So, uh, I'll, I'll pause there for a, a few for a while, and if, if you want to say stretch your legs, um, are there any questions or anything you'd like to pick up from that overview? Maybe been a little bit dense, but. Um, it's a start. We'll come back to many of these themes later on at home. Yeah. Since I didn't have my pen this first time, mm-hmm. I wanted to write it down. I wanted to um, repeat something you said to see if I understood this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said when the heart is in touch, the programs don't run. The the compulsive programs don't. Oh, compulsive. Yeah, the compulsive ones, the 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 actuary ones. You have some choice, essentially. To which programs you're going to Yeah, or not to, not, or possibly not to run one at all. Mm-hmm. Would that be possible? <laughs> <laughs> That's Nasnivana. That's what I meant. Yeah. So, because you see, uh, some of the programs we're really not in touch with. So you can't operate them or not because they're, they're, your mind hasn't penetrated that place where you really are clearly aware of them so you, you can't disconnect from them unless you actually can connect to them you see what I mean so it's, it's a, the part of a process surely is as we practice we start to re, you know, become more aware of perhaps more underlying programs that were kind of always there we never really noticed that much you know, and as you get deeper and deeper, more uh, fundamental programs can arise, such as the sense of me, you know, which we take for granted, running all the time. Never even thought about it actually, uh, you know, because it's everybody's doing it, and yet uh, that 
notice how that changes and shifts and is, is a source of arousal, inclination, concern, uncertainty. It's not not really, some, you know, not, it's a program. It's, it's uh, not something you can ultimately rely upon. So, uh, but then to really find out where that is takes a, a lot of uh, practice because it sets up so much static, so much white noise, you know, that you can't get to the point. You know, so much resonance going on around it. Yeah. Yeah. Situation of sankhara is is, uh, is part of it. Um, so you can't you can't really get out of it that easy. <laughs> so you might say perhaps for a start, it's perhaps better to habituate to the wholesome than to habituate to the unwholesome. And then in, in meditation, so you're doing two two programs really. One is kind of making the wholesome something that's much more um, subtle and less connected to external phenomena so you're kind of internalizing that and, as you, and then that's the samatha process the other process is insight which means starting to examine this very habituation that I've actually consciously taken on I'll take it on so that I can it will actually provide me with a kind of steadiness and calm to see through it which is what insight's about so unless less the programming less the habit becomes something that's happy enough and steady enough for you to hold it clearly then you don't see through it so wholesomeness is, is a necessary habit <laughs> uh, you know and as you get perhaps with Mindfulness is so useful because you start to, to see past some of the uh, blindness of the habit. Right? Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to do, but you don't need to do it right now, you know. Um, so you can do another one instead, or you, know, you can put your attention somewhere else in the same spirit. But the boundaries can change. Whether you're wholesome towards another person towards yourself, towards something you want to do in the future or towards letting go of the past Which, it, where do you want to actually f- focus that particular spirit of, of wholesome intention that's what wise attention will do it will, tend, it will help you to see where to place your mindfulness and where, to, where you need to work Yes. 
is theoretically available with volition but because it's, it's a wish if you see volition is a sense of wishing, inclining um, so but you see, there, is a, there is a choice but we don't necessarily take the choice or even acknowledge it's there you know, so that we can find ourselves running the same stuff time and time again because of the, the habituation instinct which is there in Sankara get familiar, find out the one that works keep doing it <laughs> so uh, too much choice you're just going to get confused you know, you're going to have some sense of it as a norm and then you can make a few choices on every moment of the day you've got to decide who you are and where you're going you know? so, so there, there is the potential for choice but it's not always taken um, sometimes we need to make more choices from a wise perspective but um, so the two are there mm. what was the second part? well I guess two but one is you know, are, there, are there some cars that there's no choice about and the other is how one makes these choices about identifying some, some someone who can't doesn't make the choice because of I don't know how to say well yeah in a way, the kind of very big view, all, there's choice in all of them. You didn't have to get born. <laughs> but having got born, then there's no choice, you're going to die. You know, that's, <laughs> that's on the ticket. <laughs> but, you, you know, with the, the, so that for many people, the choice is limited by um, the degree of habituation, the, the accumulation of, of unknowing of uncertainty of not really being in touch um, even for a you know Buddha still has got to be with the five aggregates until he dies there's no choice about that you could say that the five aggregates are dependent upon Sankara volition to keep him going but um, you've got no choice about you can't have six aggregates or two <laughs> and feeling will always be like that either be pleasant, painful or neutral it's not going to be anything else you can't get a fourth kind of feeling but you can with a bit of, well a lot of practice actually you can get to the point where you don't have to get formulated in terms of aggregates well that doesn't have to occur mm. yeah. okay. I don't know if this is a question about doubt or I'm thinking of um, karmic knots when you're talking about some cars and related to the question of habit or 
kind of a dense layer of things that often for me are a lot clearer when I'm meditating or when I'm in an intensive practice mm-hmm. situation. And the training that I've had is to <clears throat> not investigate so much, you know, to just notice thought is thought mm-hmm. and move along. And there's an inclination sometimes to want to, okay, first of all, what is this? What's happening, thought and feeling, but then what's underneath it? What's mm-hmm. underneath it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just have a question about the choice about that or the skillfulness mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. in, in actually getting a clear insight when the mind is more still. Well, it's 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 trial and error actually, but it's just to recognise that there there's uh, there are mm, strategies or skills um, as to as to, you have to have the resources you see, so there's no point you know rushing out without your gear on or or being unprepared so. Um, you know, sometimes it's wise to say, well, just put that to one side, you know, till you've got the resources to be able to deal with it. Otherwise, you're just going to that and you're just going to re traumatize, mm-hmm. just get wound up in that whole process again and come out feeling hopeless and more contracted, you know, more stuck. Because every time we engage in that, we kind of deepen the rut a bit more. So if you can't, if you can't come out of it, don't go into it, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> So th- that, uh, and they say that's that's a very fundamental um, piece of meditative training, you know, gradation of of, of entry, gradation of effort. You know. So I th- think what we'll see in in one of these subsequent readings, I hope we'll get there this morning, is is a sense of that gradation, how that that process moves along and one thing that comes up with it is a sense of you, you find a particular there's a state or a stage or a base you work from the base first of all is feeling um, some sense of assurance some sense of what's wholesome what's unwholesome and feeling very clear about that and knowing how those things happen in you and that's as established then almost by itself the thing moves on. As you, you okay, you start to move on to looking into some of the um, sources of uplift or, or or into your body. So there's a there's a process there, and maybe one of our collective programs is to rush because we want to get it done, fixed, sorted now as quick as possible, <laughs> and you know, so that, that's quite common people then we overshoot we don't haven't got the tackle to deal with it and then you know you go kind of ups and downs
Yeah, I think perhaps what you might be talking about I would refer to as the degree of, of, of will of will that's used degree of push you say effort mm. Mm. so for example we can expend quite a lot of, of energy in having fun in playing, playing games I think that was no effort Say, well, you know, you just danced all night or played baseball or something. It looked like a lot of effort. It's, oh no, it's just, just, just fun. It was, there was energy being expended, but there was no sense of I've got to do this, make it work, get somewhere. And that, there's that difference in which there can be of uh, definitely movement and shift happening because you you touched into something where. Um, things happen by themselves more or less there's a sense of the, the mind starts to almost move that way by its own sense because it feels good mm-hmm. so it requires no effort to move from what feels good generally <laughs> but sometimes it does you know because part of it says oh you shouldn't that's not right or you can't do that or, mm-hmm. so we have to sometimes work against some of these uh, rather poverty impoverishment programs that we have <laughs> starvation programs uh, there's all kinds of, of interesting stuff in there, in there culturally and socially induced yeah. and so that one about I think about will is, is particularly pertinent for um, people in this kind of culture and as I say we, I think we will look at that quite soon actually, that particular one I was wondering how the um, Sankara relates to mental illness, serious mental illness, where it's not necessarily possible to, or may, or is it possible to um, be aware of the formations of the program, of the intensity? Well, mental illness what the mind is is a um, quite a large topic so we can talk about neuro, neuro, the neurology of it the actual chemicals that are moving around the system those are not psychological attitudes those are chemicals why they move around the system in particular ways maybe the psychologies there that cause them we have, you know, we have fear chemicals we have urgency chemicals, we have happiness chemicals uh, that, that, that generate our moods and so forth. It seems that those, those hormonal or neurohormones can get um, kind of confused programming where they're just running all the time. You know, when, when from an outsider's point of view, there's no need to feel fear, but actually internally, that's what's running. You know, um, uh, so you, you one can get these kind of out of balance things and the degree to which they can be affected 
through through one's own mind I guess depends on on the the, the, the intensity of the of the of the program and, and how much of it is psychological and how much it is is of a more bodily nature so if it's you know directly bodily things you get people who just find that their their chemistry just has got skewed you know um, and there's not that much that could be done about it on through the mind except to um, you know understand that and moderate that I think the important piece that's relevant for everyone all the time is to understand that not all these programs have to stop and they can be even you know afflictive programs and so forth they don't all have to stop the fundamental one that has to stop is the one that says this is me that's, that's the kind of underlying program that packages it all if that one gets changed and massaged around then you know the problems we have are just like that they are this particular feature this particular they don't have to generate a whole kind of intensification of, of experience so you know for for liberation you, you don't have to get clear out your storehouse completely <laughs> fortunately <laughs> some things one just has to bear with you know and, and just learn how to you to to adapt and understand and bear with you know for a, for a lifetime that's what it is and maybe it will change maybe it won't um, some things will definitely shift in ten years five years but most of these programs apart from the thinking ones don't shift overnight. Yeah, karma, karma vipaka, cause and effect, and and, the, and how effect gets um, made in, you know, becomes very solid. becomes a solid storehouse of of programs. Some of them are, you know, of a psychological. Some of them are, you know, physiological nature. Physiological ones, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the more the harder it gets, and the more kind of substantial it gets, then the more unyielding it gets. Yes, once it's embodied, it doesn't shift easy. You may moderate it, you may you know loosen it, but it, most likely this could be a long-term tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when practitioners sometimes um, have bad experiences with meditation, is that could it sometimes be because um, we try to jump into those formations more quickly than we have that um, ability to hold? Yeah, that's one of one of the main what we call bad meditation you know or, or <laughs> uh, you know really, really stuck when it's really stuck and, 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 and uh, mindfulness is not able to stay there you know 
it probably means we've overstepped our boundaries, our limits. We, have, we didn't have the resources to, to meet that particular difficulty. So part of, the, part of the skill of meditation is to be able to moderate how, how you open, what you open to. And maybe the bit that a lot of meditators in this context would need to know is, is that that process doesn't begin sitting still on a cushion. You know, it begins with much broader, wider effects of you know feeling good about myself, feeling I've got friends, uh, having confidence in myself. You know, these kinds of things, so that you know you've already got a, a lot of stuff to fall back on. You know, and you're coming with a fairly f- full, certain fullness of being. You know that means to meet the difficulties that will by them naturally will arise you know a lot of meditation is bad in some respect in that it, it reveals aspects of ourselves that we feel very st- stuck with and yeah that, that's it's supposed to be like that but it's not supposed to be you, that you just sit down and you know and immediately you're trapped under something heavy that you can't shift you know, it's got to be the suffering, but the ending of it at the same time, somewhere where you feel good. So you can actually you've got somewhere working on the difficult stuff. Otherwise, it's just obsession. You know, just going back to an obsession, which is not meditation at all. Yeah. If the notion of I am is, say, a supervising program, um, would you consider it a skillful thing, say, if somebody is contracting around something in a moment and then intervene with the thought, oh, I'm, a, I'm not really a solid, separate self, and, and that as a way to sort of to soften the contraction in that moment, sort of as a way of remembering that the contraction is due to that misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may need to choose your, your words wisely. Um, if one is, because it doesn't require too much cognitive stuff like separate, not You might say like, "Well, how 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 am I with this?" Might be another way of doing it. You know, which means you just kind of say, "Well, there's this stuff now. How how? Oh, oh I'm with this rather than just this." So, oh, oh yeah. How am I with feeling like this? Well, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Well, can I can I change how I relate to this experience? And that immediately is going to widen the envelope yeah. and bring in the perhaps what's necessary is a, is a empathic response rather than you know the panic response, which is sympathetic rather than empathic. It means it immediately just takes on the feeling and and, and intensifies it. Whereas empathy tends to be with the feeling but not intensify it, but allow it to, you know, to move and change. So, shall we move on? <laughs> so, I thought we would begin with the Buddha's awakening 
recorded three knowledges which may not immediately seem relevant to the topic but they're relevant to, to all our topics <laughs> in some respect and before we look at that particular piece of paper because this whole topic of, of past lives, rebirth what is it that gets reborn if there's no self um, where's all you know this kind of stuff can be quite a, a thing in itself um, I thought I'd just read you something I picked up the other day mm. this is approaching, approaching the process from a more biological angle and just let this kind of wash over you and it may help <laughs> since the 1920s many biologists who have studied the development of plants and animals have been convinced that in addition to the genes there must be organizing field within, fields within the developing organism called morphogenetic fields morpho means shape or form genetic giving rise to those fields that give rise to form these fields contain as it were invisible plans or blueprints for the various organs of the organism as a whole in the mathematical models of morphogenetic fields the goals of morphogenetic process are represented as attractors the goals of morphogenetic process are represented as attractors these attractors lay within basins of attraction in a multidimensional phase space and draw the developing organism towards developmental aims or goals the development of a mouse is shaped by mouse fields and the development of a pine tree by pine fields so this is a scientist called Rupert Sheldrake who's done a lot of this um, stuff which has been hugely vilified <laughs> so but, uh, I think there's something quite interesting and uh, resonant with what he's saying for a, for a Buddhist um, what he's pointing to is a sense of uh, what he's using the word field some kind of you know which is not a thing but a whole intelligent Field, and the forms arise within that. The, the, there's a kind of potency in these fields, a, a, a basic information code or intelligence. And within these these fields, therefore, have a particular aim, or or a potency or a tendency. And around that aim or tendency, they form or form arises within them. So, to, so there's a mouse field. In other words, there's a field which knows all about what it's like to be a mouse, and the mouse arises within that because as we all know you know you start off with one cell yeah. and that cell doesn't know it really a lot about hair and teeth and glands it, but somehow it breaks up it's got a pattern which says well, why don't you go and be a tooth and <laughs> hey you, you go off and be an eyeball and why don't you go and help be a blood cell you know, how does it know <laughs> it's only one little cell how does it know which, which way to go and yet, there's some kind of intelligence there that's so you're not just producing sheets and sheets of, of cells all the same 
So this organizing thing he calls, he calls a morphogenetic field. First, morphogenetic fields work by imposing patterns or structures on otherwise random or indeterminate processes in the systems under their control. So, imposing patterns or structures. So here, just keep the word Sankara in the background. (laughs) So this would, in the Buddhist sense, this would be the Sankara to do with uh, becoming something, you know. There's a tendency to want to take on a form. Second, they contain attractors which draw systems under their influence towards future goals. Third, they evolve along with living organisms themselves. The morphic fields of all species have history, comma, and contain inherent memory given by the process I call morphic resonance. Morphic resonance works across space and across time, from the past to the present. Through morphic resonance, each member of a species both draws upon and contributes to a collective memory of the species. For example, a mouse embryo is shaped by mouse morphogenetic fields containing a spatial memory of countless previous mice and of the organs, tissues and cells within them. So, other kinds of morphic fields, this is getting interesting, include the behavioural fields that underlie the behaviour and instinct of animals. As a kitten grows up, its instincts and behaviour are shaped by morphic resonance from countless cats in the past. It remembers its past lives. <laughs> its morphic fields contain a collective memory of the species. These fields interact with nervous systems and brains by imposing pattern and order on otherwise indeterminate or chaotic processes within them. In addition, the morphic fields of social groups or social fields coordinate the behavior of animal groups. Morphic fields also underline our perceptions, thoughts and other mental processes. The morphic fields of mental activities are called mental fields. Through mental fields, the extended mind reaches out into the environment through attention and intention and connects with other members of social groups. So this is beautiful. Manasikara, Jitana and contact. Three Sankaras. These fields help explain telepathy, the sense of being stared at. So the title of this book is, is had something called about being stared at. It's called The Sense of Being Stared At. The book. Huh? Yeah. And it's based on the sense that many people know someone's looking at me you know, you know, when they can't see them. And most of us, when we are being stared at, definitely feel very different than when we're not. So there's some kind of energy that's being imparted that's not attributable to the normal ways in which we conceive um, our activity. He calls this the seventh sense. And it's directed through attention and intention, which is very very Buddhist, isn't it? Uh, These fields help explain telepathy, reading minds, which the Buddha talks about, the sense of being stared at, clairvoyance and psychokinesis. These may also help in the understanding of premonitions and preconditions through intentions projecting into the future. So this is certainly kind of nice 
my, my nice kind of cross-referencing from a totally different um, um, area of science you know, than Buddhist science but it maybe helps to um, in our own language and our own culture give us another way of looking at what may be underlying this sense of the this, this amazing vision or series of visions the Buddha has of first of all of previous lives of being somehow in a big continuum yeah. not an individual separated one off lump but somehow one wave in a tide that keeps rolling in yeah. so it keeps morphing it keeps creating forms this tide keeps creating beings there's some sort of connection between these beings even though they're completely separate you know they all live and die and yet there's some connection between them and so our what's that? where's that? because they're not you know mother, daughter, father, son there's not that genetic connection Um, and yet the connection there is a connection which the Buddha point you know realises and he doesn't really understand it himself at this time and then the second knowledge he begins to understand this isn't just me this is everybody's doing <laughs> and there's a particular uh, dynamic that's pushing that current in a very significant way and it's, it's the dynamic of karma that is the waves the tide goes that way wholesome that way unwholesome you know, skillful unskillful or very, you know, and the so the one is loosely speaking the inheritor of one's deeds. That is, because one has acted, because one's intentions have gone a particular way, the tide will tend to swing that way. On terms of the, we might say, the morphic, morphogenetic field. Mm. Now, you know, the, of course, the teachings on karma. Some of this you may not receive the results of in this life. You know, but it goes on. So some of it's fairly immediate, some of it's going to happen a long time in the future. Some of the stuff you're experiencing now is because of what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, yesterday. And because there's so many of these waves, you know, all mashing and intermeshing, you know, it's difficult to really sort of filter them out. The, The Buddha, in fact, says you can't filter them out. If you try to do it, you go crazy. It's just like there's so much stuff slushing around. What you can know is that, that you're in, you are an inheritance of many causal waves. And what you're experiencing is an inheritance of many causal waves um, occurring on different levels. And right now, you can just consider that the waves you set up now go in a particular, go in a particular way, wholesome or unwholesome same for everybody so wholesome and unwholesome are not just value judgments or social rights and wrongs they are, re- represent particular morpho, morphogenetic tides you know. so we can sense them in meditation if we get more clear we can sense them very much deep tissue stuff in our bodies in our hearts the sense of 
you know, hostility or fear or resentment or guilt. You know, the cramping, toxic effect, bitter, sour effect. This isn't just an idea, these are palpable effects. Sense of joy, forgiveness, uh, courage, persistence, so forth. It's got a brightening, strengthening sense to it. So, the short, short way is to get the feeling of your intention, the feeling of the volition that's rising up. You may need, in fact, to get uh, some dimensionality to that through feeling how it's in your body, because what we're also dealing with is the way that the the thought programming, the thought conditioner, will tend to override, you know, what we're actually feeling, what we're feeling on a heart level, because it's the it's the it's the loudest and the quickest one that's going. So it'll jump in first and say, "No, you didn't feel that. <laughs> you did. No, you didn't." <laughs> or that's right. I'm not being defensive. <laughs> I'm not defending anything. <laughs> well, how do you feel? I feel perfectly okay. <laughs> Could you just wait for five seconds and you know t- tell me again? <laughs> I feel fine. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, you, you feel uh, uh, you know things the thing that you're ashamed of feeling. Of course, you get so to the so you don't you kind of half feel it and you oh no, you know, and something you doesn't really fully feel it. So you get kinds of conflicting feedback loops between your thought conditioning and your know, different levels of your emotional conditioning. You know, what you're allowed to feel, what you think a normal person should feel, what you think a proper, good, worthy, respectable <laughs> person should feel, and what you're feeling. <laughs> so around that you get this kind of um, fracture, you know, which is fracture occurs between, you know, the bits that are not acceptable within one's conditioned model of selfhood. And this is one of the paramount um, manifestations of, e- of ignorance and the severance between what we acclimatize to, to feeling, what we allow ourselves to feel, and stuff that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like that, you know. And so that really, you know. Buddha's teaching is really essentially pragmatic rather than analytical. He's saying, well, okay, so what do you do right now? You can't go back. What are you doing right now? Just create, move to the tide of good intent. Move to the tide of good intent that you know. Not good intent as Sunday school ideas that I've learnt. The good intent that you know in your nerves you can get a feeling for it and that may be just breathing out it may be space it may be breathing in it may be lifting up it may be holding your ground it may be waiting it may be a number of things but you know you get a sense of what the wholesome is 
And it's very important to, to feel the wholesome and feel the unwholesome. Otherwise, you get this fragmentation occurs, this fracture occurs. Mm. So, so, so this is really about karma. Third knowledge um, is to do with what are called the asawa. Asawa, Ver- again, variously translated: uh, taints, cankers, fermentations outflows, corruptions Um, asawa means something like leakage leakage something, you know, splits so I think basically something happened to trees, they would start to leak, their vital juices would come out through the bark or they'd get some kind of disease which would cause that to happen so it's a leakage of internal stuff Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of it's a sign of disease. <laughs> so outflow is not a bad word for it. So it flows out. It can be also um, apprehended as as the current the current of the mind. If you look at it like a more like an electrical metaphor, something that runs out to things. It's a running out current that um, bonds you know, the sense, the sense that the current connects it sort of um, and it has three, sometimes four but more often three forms of it and the fact that these things can be three or four gives you an idea that this is not you know this isn't just an analytical thing it's, a, it's not a finite thing um, so with the three it's seen as karma so a calm not karma but karma karma means sensuality it's an outflow a rush out to the sense spheres the current that rushes out to the sense spheres bonds with it feels this is the place where I am belong this is the place where I get my goods this is where I'm bound this is what I'm in the sense sphere the current rushes out like an electrical current you plug in one end the other end plugs into the into the sense realm um, second asura is called the asura of becoming or bawa Bhava, B-H-A-V-A, Bhava, existence becoming being. These are the ways in which it's translated, and, you know, which isn't all that clear. But really, what it re- means that becoming something, being something. So there's a there's an unspoken bit to it. The being becoming something <laughs> and there's becoming also there's a sense that there's a kind of rolling on quality to it, one's always becoming something one's looking to become something, one fears becoming something, one hopes to become something and one is becoming something yeah. and the, the something changes but this whole rolling on, the current connects us to the momentum of um, things forming yeah. 
a formation of sankara itself and third is the asava of ignorance getting out of touch staying out of touch not getting the point having distinct views that obscure that truth or realization or liberation and ignorance may be encapsulated as seeing permanence in what is not permanent or constant in what is not constant or substantial in what is not substantial seeing fulfillment, happiness um, completion in what doesn't fulfill you know, it's just, uh, just a kind of flash of excitement doesn't actually fulfill doesn't come to completion so, and the third is um, forming something as self myself, yourself how I was, how I should be how you are, how they are who's better, who's worse so this belongs to me or I am separate from this and the various ways in which the, the Buddha sometimes goes through philosophical um, patterns on self as being in this, outside of this not with it, you know, any way in which you form some sense of, of selfhood it would be a mark of, of this avijja so these are the three biases the, or us outflows the fourth one is occasionally referred to as the asava of views uh, means one's mind easily looks for solid ground in terms of dogma viewpoints philosophies, ideologies these things the, I think the only you know value of that fourth analysis which seems to be rather later is that it does tell you how how uh, fundamental the tendency to form a view is it's, it's pretty basic and also tells you just how uh, obstructive that is because yeah. these asks are always considered obstructions to liberation uh, and thirdly that the asava of ditti is said to be eradicated at stream entry that is the first stage of realization means you no longer stick to ideological positions anymore <laughs> which is nice you know so as Ajahn Chah would say a stream entry is someone who is quite uncertain <laughs> they don't really have a fixed stand view on things and he'd say you know, the, the once returner is, is even more uncertain and non-returner is really very uncertain the Arahant is completely uncertain doesn't know any, anything about being anything <laughs> which is a nice way to play with it I think because yeah. the, the point of these, these asavas is, is they why they why they pertain and maintain themselves throughout the vast majority of people is because they do provide some sense of certain of solidity yeah. I know where I am 
I know who I am I've got solid ground and uh, that kind of fundamental wiring that we have to, to find solid ground feel stable, feel permanent not some eternal soul maybe but you know um, and these these asamas are not uh, cleared that easy you know you can't just say oh silly me stop doing it <laughs> oops you know they're, they're really pretty hardwired in there and it's really only arahants who've managed to get down to that place in the system and say hey you don't need this anymore <laughs> you don't need this anymore you, you're really you know they're redundant that's the point you know you feel completely stable without having something to hold on to because mm-hmm. the, the fulfillment of the, of the enlightenment factors the fulfillment of the heart in, in brief means that you don't have to lean on this, that, being something, identifying with something you don't need that so you don't need it, so you drop it but uh, you can't you can't fudge the process you, you know you can actually get the resources that make these asava redundant and, but, um, so all of these the topic of Sankara actually runs through all of these we can say that it's Sankara it's the formative tendency that keeps regenerating these forms called people, identities and the formative process Sankaras are moving along in a karmic, according to karmic tendencies and the formative processes are mostly fundamentally wired up to the sense of being something and uh, solidifying and particularly solidifying in a sense sphere which is where we spend, seem to be spending most of our time <laughs> and once you're in there then you start looking for well this is what I got seeing, seeing, touching, feeling right so where's the good stuff where's the bad stuff where do I get hold of my good stuff where I store my good stuff make sure I've got it there when I need it you know so the whole shooting match starts around that this sequence of the Buddha talking about his awakening occurs in several suttas this one is the fourth but you'll find pretty much the same well, the same story occurring in the um, I think this 36th sutta and I think also the 26th sutta the Majjhima Nikaya and he realized these all from when his mind had become endowed with this uh, quality of calm, expansiveness, steadiness inner happiness it's called jhana in various forms this is the Buddha's awakening he sees all these three one other piece to remember is that you don't have to see all of these three (laughs) you get a feeling for them think yeah okay 
makes sense or I, I have faith in that or at least I can begin to see the process of karma you know I don't know where it came from but you know the main thing you see through is the third is the sense of really that's that's the necessary one hmm. that's the necessary one so to experience the to really get a a way of acknowledging these outflows and I think then the word outflow has its value because it is this kind of flowing out which sometimes can be a flood in fact one of the there's a series called the four floods which is exactly the same as the four asawa so the two are are the same same energies it's kind of you know spewing out rushing out overflowing you know suddenly your tank overflows onto something (laughs) and there's a certain churning that could go along with it so you're acknowledging that and then uh, you know how, how how do we sort of quell that Two, two systems that we'll come to later the quelling of, of this basic turbulent drive passion in various forms that which gets us going you know causes that rising up flood that kind of you know and this is this is quelled it's kind of soothed by the process of samatha the underlying ignorance which assumes there's something to flow out to <laughs> that you can connect to and there's someone who's doing it that's dispelled by insight so quite often in, you know, in the you know, med- in a Dhamma practice part of it is just acknowledging you know, the desire rises up and around a donut or whatever it is and it hits that thing the thing lights up boing happiness (laughs) connects to that object and you get it one bite two bites happiness gone donut still in hand no longer glowing just piece of soggy old flour what happened connection looked like it was going to land it almost landed it kind of made a tentative land and disappeared so you see you know that, that very simple analogy the, the, the outflow towards the sense realm is to connect but it doesn't quite it doesn't quite connect well, maybe it's the wrong donut so I'll have a bagel <laughs> <laughs> and then well who needs food I'll have some flowers and I'll put some music on so we can keep shifting it you know looking for that, that hit and you, you kind of get you get a touch of it and then it, it vanishes you know, and it subsides welling up subsides you know. so that, that's part of the process of insight it's just to examine you know, the object of desire how solid is that how much it is just the projection of one's own perceptions one's own psychology you, know, you will provide me with this you know and how many kind of relationships have to find their way with that particular piece of <laughs> psychology 
Uh, and then, of course, the other aspect, which is perhaps more difficult, is to recognize where does this come from? You know, you think in your, you have all these desires and you generate these things in your own. Wonder who that is. You don't because you don't see where it's coming from. It just kind of flashes up. Yeah, so the the overriding sankara, which identifies with the whole programming packaging, saying, "Well, it's you." Yeah, is it? Um, is it my feet, my toenails, my hair? Is it my name, my number, my gender, my body? My, which which is it? Uh, it's your mind. <laughs> Okay, well, is it my happy mind, my peaceful mind, my joyful mind, my irritable mind, my <laughs> determined mind, my personal mind, my playful mind? Which one is it? Uh, it's your defiled mind. <laughs> okay, well, I've got plenty of defilements too. <laughs> is it my angry mind, my guilty mind, my greedy mind? <laughs> Which one am I? I am permanent greed. I am permanent. <laughs> I am. Permanent defilement is my nature. <laughs> so you can hook into that program. Not true. <laughs> Not true. They would have said, you know, defilements are like guests, the akantuka, the, the, the guests that come and go. Don't think the guest is the host. It's interesting when the you know look in the first knowledge the Buddha is saying, you know, I had such a name, belonged to such a clan, had such an appearance. You know, so identification crystallizes around his name, clan, appearance. Such as my food, smuts so my experience of pleasure and pain, such to the end of my life. Whose name, clan, appearance, food, feeling, death. <laughs> yeah. I know what we'd identify with. Home, house, relationship, partner, job, such as my bank account, (laughs) (laughs) such as my credit card number. (laughs) Probably not my clan. India, much more your clan. In Asia in general it's much more familial, much more knitted into a, a kind of extended family, whereas we don't have that so much. The clan system is all sort of broken up into jobs, such as my job, such as my house, such as my bank account, such as my credit card number. <laughs> you know, these kind of things we might kind of feel emotionally connected to but then when you actually sort of you know just see if you can just do that stepping back I was two I was five I was newborn I was fifteen there I was 15, believing what 15 year olds believe in, knowing what 15 year olds, it's different from being three. And when I was 15, I really believed that was me. And then I was 25, it was different. And I really believed this is me. And then I was 40, 
that was different it took me a while to accept it was different but eventually I realised I'm not 25 anymore I'm 40 and I believed that was me and it goes on doesn't it you're 50 you're 60 whatever it is you're 70 and the scenarios you know I lived in this country I belonged to this society I was this relationship I had this job I was this I was the president I was the dentist I was the skivvy I was the top dog I was the underdog it was me you know I was the unwanted I was the loved it was me <laughs> and at the moment that's what we feel ourselves to be isn't it and you just step back 10 years ago 20 years ago Wow. which one which one is yeah, the one right now is well yeah the others were just I wasn't quite clear as <laughs> I was growing up you know uh, so it helps doesn't it so it just gets a little bit of lifting off the edge of one's kind of belief in identity right now or the identity ever could be something that's permanent, real, solid. And then what, what stimulates it? Name, clan, family. You know? What stimulates it? Daily habits. These are the kind of foods I eat. These are the kind of things I go through. Uh, nationality, we might say didn't have nationalities in the time of the Buddha had clans now we might say I'm American, Canadian I'm Jewish I'm this kind of thing so you get one of those triggers, hits and suddenly but I am (laughs) or our psychological you know, I identify with the psychological processes. I am depressive. I am excitable. I am a, I'm a fun-loving person. I am a responsible person. You know? uh-huh. So part of our practice is just to kind of, you know, really look at that whole identity process, and then, you know, get more, cl- look more clearly at identify with anything identify with wholesome unwholesome So the little blurb I appended here in your in the in the overview section, page two. So the dynamic of transmigration is formative; forms arise and cease, but through them there is an ongoing continuum of being, and the formative experience encompasses the material and the immaterial. 
so it's a body but also as you can see in this case is the Buddha's name you know his, his appetites, his interests is all wrapped up in the same um, package psychophysical this is the five aggregates the five khanda perceptions body or form um, feeling programs consciousness and when you consider that that package form not a lot you can do about form change slowly maybe form feeling you can shift it but really just it's juggling isn't it keep shifting towards the pleasure displeasure comes hunting um, the one you can really get some say about is Sankara is when you, you know, what you direct your attention to what you, what you intend what perceptions you bring into your mind what perceptions you linger with what perceptions in your mind you release what forms you attend to so the, the, that which steers attention and intention this is the mental aspect of Sankara the, the, the active aspect so it's something you can do something about that's the only thing you can do something about got this piece of leeway second realization of the Buddha tells us gives us a fundamental clue as to how to operate that Sankara seek the wholesome abandon the unwholesome there's a crucial relationship between the material and the immaterial psychological action determines the future arising of material form because I did this in a past life or previous life I became this in a future life that's the kind of the um, language the Buddha is using this level is voluntary you have some choice and you want to try to maximize the choices you make so get less compulsive less you know and the wholesome is that which when you feel it has got a lot more generates a lot more possibilities real possibilities because it has the effect of calming brightening opening extending your awareness and so that gives you you know more possibilities than are available because the mind is less driven so you know, you've got a bit more choice third level is often unconscious the asava often it means we're not really it's not on the desktop it's there we don't really acknowledge it see it, highlight it, have a word for it even these are the psychological biases the outflows that bind and power the continuum of being with the sense of self as their continual reference also by the reflex to outflow
And with this we might, um, as just a moment to reflection, refer to, refer to the I sense, the sense of me, the sense of I. What is that conjoined to? What, what does that flow out to? Does it flow out to psychological state, physical appearance, external possessions, um, my people, my time? You know, there, that flowing out, there, that's the, that's the outflow. The outflow ceases, then this is the liberation. It doesn't mean there's a kind of sort of blotting out, because the Buddha said you can't. It's very difficult to define this, um, because it is beyond it's beyond finitude, it's beyond definition. But it's like if you if that current doesn't flow out, then um, there is that which can be experienced as boundless, non-located, not identifiable, but yet intimately experienced. Uh, experience of release. And from this process he gained insight into the Four Noble Truths, how the contraction, how the suffering, how the holding on happens, that it does happen, how it happens, that it does get released, and how it gets released. So that arose out of these three, three visions, three knowledges. So that's enough of that. And uh, give yourself a few moments. You'd like to think about that, or did it sit there? <laughs> Quite a watch. We're coming to the last part of the morning, and though you may have questions about that, just to bear in mind that um, it would be nice if you could just at least look at the piece on page 6 called In Accordance with Dhamma, because that gives us a rather more positive way to finish the morning. <laughs> the process of liberation. But just, just before, just are there any particular points you want to pick up about what I've just said? Kamasawa, K long A M A. So it's different from Kamma, which is the double M, short A. Karma means sens- sensuality, sense spheres. Or really, um, not exactly the sense spheres, but the kind of flavour of them. Mm. Mm. The flavour that we feel is there, but actually is a little bit of a of a myth. Yep. 
inflow, <laughs> overflow. Let <laughs> me um, uh, think. Well, the words that have been used so far: um, taints, biases, um, fermentations, these sorts of things. If you consider flow of becoming so we start to sense of what what will I be tomorrow what am I going to do tomorrow what have I got lined up for this year Um, how am I going to develop my meditation practice the time sense if it is kind of something rising up to fill in the blanks Um, the time sense is often associated with the outflow of becoming a sense in which one feels oneself bound to time that, that help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have heard that um, Anusia, Anusia, which you mentioned before, is mm-hmm. also related to the outflow. Mm-hmm. Can you fill in the gaps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Anusia are, are um, specific proclivity-specific tendencies and they rest in something like they're, they're kind of stored we might say you know and then they, they when they get activated you know, activation we've got a kind of tendency to be irritated by something the basic tendency for irritability and then something touches us that then the outflow comes flowing out from that along that particular channel you know, so we might say this outflow of becoming in terms of irritability you know we feel threatened by something that might stop us being something that we want to be or things of that nature so you know, or we feel greed you know what, what we want to be so, you can, so based upon the tendency towards greed you're going to kind of get outflow towards, I want to get on and do that, you know, or, or these kinds of experiences. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the kind of potency, I would say. And then the asava is the experience of it on the run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. about the passing of time when you talked about identity at 3 and 15 and you know, how we attach to that and um, as we develop awareness and begin to um, experience more anatta and be able to separate from that um, is it kind of that keeps it recreating. In other words, even though you have an ex- experience or awareness, you move along and then something new mm-hmm. that's completely different than mm-hmm. might have presented itself before mm-hmm. that is I guess it's the one the ones that you can't see that, that are so deeply 
all of a sudden arises and you become aware of it, you become conscious of it, and then so it moves along, but you was probably there all the time. I, I, I don't know if I can, if I'm formulating it or use the word say it's, it's in the field as a, pot- as a potential mm. so all of us have the capacity potentially for irritation for violence for love for compassion for fear guilt it's all there in the human field and I think what's interesting to see is there are cultural aspects to that you know so I think one bit to get is that not everything that's happening through you is directly related to something you've done apart from get born you know, when you get born into a particular context you tend to take on the qualities of that particular context you know so well, you be careful about attributing too much blame or guilt or this is really me you know, I'm stuck with this forever kind of thing. Um, that, that it's all because of something deep inside. It's, it's actually it's around you rather than inside you. Some of it. Once you're born, you're, you're born into a in a potential for all kinds of stuff to happen um, from your context and also from your own karma, your own immediate or previous intentions. So quite a lot of stuff occurs because of what's happened to us. You know, if you're abused as a child, then you say, well, that's because of your bad karma. Well, that's great. <laughs> Just adds a little more to salt to the wound. <laughs> but, but you could also say, well, you know, maybe just the mistake was getting born. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you, you naturally, once we're in this human form, then we're receptive and we, we morph in accordance with what our cultural particularly our most immediate human context will will put into us you see so you know so there's, there's a certain responsibility there but to recognising you know you just have to need really basically deal with doing what good you can do what feels good what feels wholesome and then this real radical feeling of not not identifying with these programs that are, that are there, whether they're yours, somebody else's, who knows? You know, because you kicked a Buddha in five lifetimes ago, maybe, but who knows? Asava is always seen as a, um, you know, obstructive, an obstructive experience, like a quality that blots the mind. So you see, if you say the fundamental asava of, of ignorance is identification, you know, seeing as permanent that which is impermanent, seeing as self that which is not self. So we very well have these, you know, we're, what we're in, it's not as if we are just conditioned that's it otherwise there wouldn't be any unconditioned yeah. 
uh, and there are, if you like, so you have these sort of unconditions. And then also there's the things like we have the potential for when we step out of a program, compulsion, that kind of moment, you feel quite free, and then you know the heart will start to experience something like gladness or joy or relief. Is that, is that an outflow? No, it's not an outflow, but, but identifying with it would be. <laughs> you know, saying, oh, now I'm this. Because then when you're not it anymore, you think, oh, I lost it. What did I do wrong? So it's the identification is the, is the outflow. So perhaps in the last little piece, we could... This is a little more meditative I hope this is from the second second sutra of the book of the elevens in Yanguta Nikaya called Chetana Sutta Chetana is volition in your book it's page 6 So for a person endowed with virtue, consummate in virtue, there is no need for an act of will. This is Chaitanya. There is no need for Chaitanya. May freedom arise, freedom from remorse arise in me. It is the nature of things that freedom from remorse arises in a person endowed with virtue, consummate in virtue. That's, that's the pattern. Person free from remorse, there is no need for an act of will. May joy arise in me. It is in the nature of things that a joy arises in a person free from remorse. For a joyful person, no need for an act of will. May rapture arise, and so forth. It goes on this sequence: rapture, will, will um, nature of things. The rapturous person grows serene in body. So it's a sense of the body feels relaxed uncontracted, free from tension there's a neurological correlate for that between the mind and the body then the bodily sense of feeling ease in one's body gives rise to what's called sukha which is the mental experience of ease sort of a, a soft expansive pleasant sense and then because of this or in accordance with that the mind grows concentrated and so forth then realizations and dispassion and letting go all kind of follow contingent upon that as you can see these ways mental qualities lead on to mental qualities mental qualities bring mental qualities to their consummation for the sake of going from near to the further shore or to the um, beyond, you might say. The language is further shore, again, is another metaphor. So, the, I guess the important thing here is, is no need for an act of will, which is Chaitanya, it is in the nature of things. This phrase, nature of things, the Pali word is Dhammata. Dhammata. D-H-A-M-M-A-T long A Dhammata so the nature of things this gives a nice way of understanding what we mean by the word Dhamma 
um, it's used a lot in Thai they say tamada which is their way of they slightly change the consonant sounds it means tamada means ordinary natural obvious you know tamada uh, so here I you know just to get that kind of nuance because it's no big deal it just it's kind of obvious ordinary rather than trying to push the river uphill <laughs> it flows this way you know and the pushing pushing is the chaitana the kind of kind of make this happen for me and, and so there are, there are, I think there really seem very important checkpoints for meditators particularly this bit about you made my mind go concentrated which can be an incredible uh, you know trial and uh, big big issue for meditators and yet it says you know well you don't get concentrated until you get till you get happy mm-hmm. or lose sense of sukha which is not happiness excited but it's happiness is like relieved easeful you know bathtub happiness mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than frisbee happiness yeah. Mm-hmm. so suffuses suffusive sense and then we look at the factors that will give rise to that so really really very important to to as I say our tendency to, to jump skip process get results get down to it get concentrated get insight get liberated then go home (laughs) 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 so I think you you look at this kind of prelude you think oh dad with virtue yeah yeah The other thing I'd like to say is, is that, you know, how does this happen? What what pushes it along? If you like, if I'm not pushing it along as an act of will, what moves it along? What is the dhammata? What's the guiding principle of dhammata that causes things to shift from this to that? It's not done through pushing it. And um, we'll see in another sutta, the Upanisa sutta maybe the bully uses the images of, of a, a little trickle of water rolling down the hill and as it rolls down it gathers other streams to it it becomes a stream it becomes a creek it becomes a river it becomes a mighty river and it empties into the sea it's a sense of which there's a, there's a graduation which attracts as I said we used the word attractor earlier there's an attractor which attracts the wholesome attracts the skillful and it gradually pulls the skillful together and then it empties into the what's called here the, the other shore, the beyond that's just a poetic but perhaps useful um, sense of you know the movement is, is almost like gradient um, <clears throat> what is needed is to get critical mass so if the trickle just runs straight down through the, the rock is porous the trickle, the water lands, it just goes straight into the rock and disappears. You don't get no creek. <laughs> so it's the, you've got to hold it. 
Yeah. Which means you, you know, not only do you do virtue, you do good, but you hold it. it means you remember it, you recollect it, you take it into your nerve endings, you feel it out, you remember it. You feel how, how you could have done something other than that, but you did good. Oh, how's that feel? And make it more than just a judgment from your head. I really try to know that. And the sense of, and this is really, you know, a very big bit, and a very, obviously, quite um, crucial piece when you look in, ter- certainly in terms of the Asian Buddhist culture. Most, most of it is about experiencing the good and feeling happy about that. And then things just will roll along from there. The really thing you've got to do is actually learn to focus on the good, stay with it, and rejoice. It's called anamodana, which means we actually celebrate our own virtue, our own wholesomeness, how good it felt. Rather than feel a bit bashful about it, um, or have contrived goodness which is more like um, orders following my orders so you know you, if you get top down morality it means you do good to, because of praise blame unfortunately although this has got some you know sanitary effects I suppose the result is you tend to associate doing good with praise blame and after a while you get fed up with that praise blame <laughs> somebody's telling you know telling me how I should be so you tend to go oh, you know get lost or whatever and do what I want to do um, that's the problem with top down stuff you don't you don't you may do the right thing if you don't feel it you don't learn it so quite a bit is to you know is to come out of this cultural conditioning morality is policed yeah. morality is that which is policed <laughs> rather than morality arise really from a sense of um, two senses one is morality is often connects us to our context in a way that makes us feel caring, concerned and responsive to our context it's a mutuality thing to others as to myself and we do that we feel we feel bigger because you know we're connected to what's around us we don't feel we're jutting out from it or it's numb or, or we're getting away from it we just feel happy where we are you do this in the human sphere then you've got friends you've got people you can trust rely upon because you have that sense of to others as to myself there's generosity there's sharing there's refraining from abuse there's you know loving kindness all this is all this is really Associated with sila, um, it doesn't just mean following the rules. It means getting in touch with the good stream of wholesomeness, feeling in yourself, feeling how, how rather pleasant that is. Then, if we don't, we don't have the the niggardly, crabby. Um, I didn't get my cell. I didn't get my share. He didn't deserve that. I don't see why he should get that, and I didn't get mine. <laughs> you feel cheated and impoverished because there's an ability to 
well great she had a good day well that's great because you're my friend you know I was really pleased that you had a good time because you, know, you, you, you can share in it so that that's why this this bit is 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 very strong in in, um, in Buddhist culture yeah. and a lot of effort in religious culture in Thailand certainly is, is made to bring this around you just go visit people you go make connections you go give offerings you give flowers it doesn't have to be expensive but you, you make the gestures of, you know you're my people I'm with you you know I'm interested in you I'm warm towards you and you're warm so you get a lot of fun out of being with each other and a lot of sharing goes on a lot of giving a lot of sharing and there's a great joyfulness rather than the you know my deal your deal kind of thing and where are the boundaries and you get off my patch stuff <laughs> and how much I deserve you know maybe you're kind of accountant mind you're totting up your merit and where's my where's my token give me my give me my payoff kind of thing <laughs> uh, so this is uh, more we tune into that it's it's it's, uh, it's uh, you know very fundamental piece the uplift of that you recollect that one of the basic recollections is to keep getting in touch doing it remembering letting it fill up when it fills up the crabby the sour the guilty the impoverished the regretful the one that's saying five years ago you did this the small minded bit <laughs> you said this ten years ago you said that you know, oh god um, or towards yourself no, you idiot, you never get that right, you forgot that's yesterday, you stupid fool, you're going to get learned. You know, that can, that can go. So then, because you haven't got that nagging in your mind, your mind feels buoyant. This is the gladness, pomoja, joy. Because of joy, when you internalize that, and you sit with that, you, you, get, the in, you, know, you get the feeling of uh, freshness, rapture uplift things are possibilities you know there's potential it's interesting and there's a, there's a thrill and that comes into your body part of our meditation system in Anapanasati is to spread that into your whole body so right down to the tips of your nerves so all those little tensions and reflex and you know synapses can ease up so we're not kind of tetchy and you know, and we're not numb, and then because of that, you get the, the embodiment of it makes it much more like a whole field of of experience. You can just kind of sit in that. When you sit in that, it's like sitting in your bathtub, and the water stays warm, <laughs> and you just sit in it, and you just get stiller and stiller. There, that's where the, the sense of um, samadhi arises because you don't want to go anywhere else. <laughs>